Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. This is season two and I'm your host, Beverly Roche. On this season, I'll have some exciting guests talking about their experiences in cybersecurity, along with a four-part series on scams and fraud. Looking forward to you joining me for this season. My incredibly supportive colleagues, Jonathan and Jason, thank you at CyberAware are supporting my production for the podcast for the next few series, which is really kind of them. Hey, go check out their next-gen security awareness training at cyberaware.com. Today on the podcast, I'm going to be joined by Chris McNaughton from Sigmon One. They do insider threat and a whole raft of other things. Now, this forms part of our scams and fraud podcast. As difficult and as challenging as it is around insider threat, we've seen a lot of it. We don't hear much about it. And I hope you enjoy listening to what Chris has to say. I think one last thing is, He comes from law enforcement and this lens that law enforcement have is a little bit different to ours because sometimes we look at it from a compliance perspective. They look at insider threat a little bit differently. I have a background in um, law enforcement and I finished with law enforcement as a um, senior forensic examiner. And... Uh, I ended up landing in uh, General Electric in a forensic role. Um, and after a few months, um, I took on a global role, and that was more around uh, cyber security and uh, information security and all those sorts of areas. And uh, we were having a meeting one day, you had myself and a couple of colleagues, and we were all feeling a little frustrated. And the reason we were feeling frustrated is because we're almost without exception, the vendors we were dealing with were offering really substandard solutions. And and what I mean by that is they were predominantly software vendors and we would have a problem, for example, it might be data leakage or insider risk or monitoring. Their solution to it was almost always buy this tool and implement it and it would be the panacea to all your problems and it it never was that. So we knew um, that we could... Um, build that people, process and technology piece and it would help solve our problems. And we were doing that and we almost put vendors aside. And in this meeting one day with a couple of colleagues who are now my business partners, we said, you know what, we can do this better. In fact, we are doing this better. And so we said, you know, uh, let's form a company. That's what we did. We formed Sequon One and it's been a fantastic journey ever since. Um, We're mostly concerned at the moment about the way that data is being managed, and there's a couple of aspects to that. One is that we all have an expectation of privacy and, and, and organisations to protect our data, absolutely. And when you overlay that with what we're seeing from the regulators, they are now have a serious expectation that organisations, when they collect your data, are protecting it. And the trends we're seeing is that that's really not happening. And organisations do the very best they can, but this is new. Uh, Really, this is new stuff for them, you know, Um, and we see in terms of data, we see data everywhere. When we do discovery exercises, it's all over the place. Um, And that's, I get that, Um, but what we we say with that is that, you know, it's people simply trying to do their jobs 
and they do what we call doing the wrong thing for the right reason. They're trying to do their jobs. They need some guidance. They don't know what to do with the data. They might hit a hurdle, so they'll just store it anywhere. And that's, that's one of the big problems we see at the moment. So this big reveal that you do on data, mm. do you use, you know, without kind of giving it all away, do you use data analytics tools? Have you got something that's pretty unique that you guys use that can discover that fairly quickly? We do. So we adopt a couple of strategies and, and I guess first and foremost, when we look at an organisation, we say, what's right for this organisation? Where, where is your risk and where are your problems? Because they might have very, very large infrastructures. They might have be using SharePoint and share drives and email and all sorts of things. And so it's obviously it's not a one solution fits all, but um, we do obviously use technology. So we'll use some discovery and there's sometimes a fear. Um, we're working with it in a very large organisation at the moment doing some discovery and remediation for them with their sensitive data. And there was a real fear factor when we started doing the discovery. And I guess it was that they're going to lift up that rug and they're going to find something really nasty. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and I get that. Can we just talk about that a little bit? Because I think there's a discussion here to be had, which I think people don't often have. And you talk about lifting that rug and you and I have been trying to solve societal problems, me with the e-safety, and at the front door of that, because you've been on the really ugly side of society, and one of the big issues that I had was that we were trying to find pedophiles on the dark net, Mm. and there were companies out there that had products like NetClean that could help us do a reveal internally on what some of that data looked like. And I think this is a really rich discussion to have because when you sign up for an acceptable use policy in an organisation, and it starts there, right, as professionals, we have an expectation that your employees are going to do the right thing, that they're not going to use your asset for malicious purposes. And one of the case studies that came out of that is we discovered that a global company was a central moving point. So they weren't the perpetrators, but they were moving child pornography around the globe in their network, corporate network and sharing it. And that's a real problem for a brand reputation and a legal reputation, right? So when you do that lift up, you're seeing just the multiplicity of different data types. How does that go for you coming from fraud and coming from e-crime? It is important to to probably consider first that when we do any sort of discovery, um, when you overlay that with user activity, what we know is that more than 99.9% of users are actually trying to do the right thing, but there are some malicious users out there, absolutely. So what's important for us when we start doing uh, discovering our sensitive data in an organisation is that we shine a light everywhere. And when we do that, um, we, without exception, we find sensitive data and we find data in all sorts of places, such as in people's mailboxes and on their desktops in particular, 
Um, but everywhere throughout the organisation, in every it, it, it proliferates everywhere, and that's people simply trying to do their job. And and what will happen is uh, one of two things: they either won't know how to do a certain thing, so they'll just do it the best way they can, um, or the tools that they're being provided don't work very well, so they'll work around them. Uh, one of those two things, and so that means that uh, when we we do these discovery exercises, we find customer data everywhere. Uh, it might be a database administrator taking some data and putting it on his desktop to work on it and then forgetting it. Um, the the cool thing about this, though, is that 95, around about 95, 96% of what we find is actually really easy to, to clean up, and we often do that within a week or two. And it could simply be uh, data on a someone's laptop they haven't looked at it for two years or on a share drive we, we did a, a job um a few weeks ago where there was data going back that hadn't been touched for 20 years <laughs> no. <laughs> no tools to look at that stuff anymore <laughs> and it was you know it was sensitive data. it was patient data and it was healthcare data and, <sighs> and all sorts of stuff so but the thing is it's easy to wind that back and easy to, to remediate that so um, but the important thing is you need to shine a light everywhere. What you do also find when we do these these sorts of exercises is that we'll find some systemic issues. So it might be, you know, uh, Bob from the uh, IT team build a process that, uh, you know, processes data and then put it in the share drive. But you know what? It was customer data. and Or he put it into uh, his, his mailbox or his own personal drive and it just sits there. And so it's great to find the redundant data, that's fantastic. That can through 95. Another two or three percent is bad process, easy to fix. So it means you, you know, you tweak that process and hey Bob from IT, we're not going to put that there anymore. We're going to put that in a lockdown driver somewhere. Mm. And then you get a couple of, you know, one or two percent which we have to sit down with the size of someone and, and make some decisions about what we do with it. And that data is everywhere now. Mm. You know, that database that you talked about is potentially on that individual's laptop at home, mm. and you've got data leakage absolutely everywhere. And it could be, you know, help me out here. It'll be intellectual property. Mm. It'll be patents. It'll be customer data that could be easily manipulated and moved out without you knowing about it. Patient data, as you said, you know, we've had to do things, shift and load really quickly. You and I talked about Office 365. Mm. Maybe we can talk about that as a real tangible mm. in terms of what your viewpoint is. What we've seen over the last six to eight weeks, I guess, is people rushing to get people working from home out of survival. Um, they've had to do it. Yeah. What's been sort of left in the background and I guess is an afterthought, sometimes not even a thought, is actually the security of how we implement those things and what does that look like. So what it's meant is from a, so a data storage perspective and so forth is people are putting things everywhere. They're implementing Office 365, honestly, without a lot of the security overlays that should be there. What we're seeing is that with a lot of people now working from home and getting into that rhythm of working from home, a, a lot of the experts are now saying that, that we, we think this trend will continue. We think that these people will continue to work from home, mm. but the security is still not been fixed. Yes. Can you offer some steps about, you know, what you would do, what you would recommend first 
to start nailing that because, you know, here we are faced with as a cybersecurity professionals with another set of challenges for where do we start? Have you got some suggestions about where do we crack this nut first? Absolutely. Some some of it's easy. So with 365 for specifically, for example, there are some security 101 things that we do. So we'll often just do an assessment and we'll say, hey, fix that, you know, adjust this, um, and that will get them really ahead of the game and looking reasonably secure. The thing that needs to be uh, ready to bear in mind, though, is that a breach can occur in 365, particularly in email, and it can go unnoticed for months. So we had a client late last year whose email accounts had been breached. Many of them had been breached, and they'd been breached, and the attackers had access to 365, the email accounts, for about six to eight months before anyone had noticed. And they noticed when the frauds started to occur. So there was six or eight months of preparation. The attackers looking for getting it right, understanding where, where all the data was and the invoices were, and then they launched an attack. The 365 infrastructure just wasn't anywhere near up to scratch. Right. And can I ask, what did that attack vector look like? You know, was it a big phishing email? Was it ransomware? Was it something that really well crafted because they'd been inside for so long? It was. It was a, It started with a spear phishing attack. So they, were, they went for one of the senior folks in finance mm. and they realised that they'd been to a conference. They sent them a, a targeted email. It looked pretty good, I've got, I've got to say. It was right, right on the mark. They clicked on it. They owned that account and then they went and they just you know, migrated to different accounts and leveraged out. Just owned, owned the infrastructure, to be honest. I was talking to the Deputy Commissioner of the ACCC, Delia, Ricard, and I think the thing that we're all shaking our heads about is this is a full-time job for cyber criminals and, boy, they're really so convincing and they really do their social engineering so well. You know, maybe we can talk about that a little bit later about, you know, what are the other things that we can look for. So I think what we really understand is Office 365, you've really got to tighten your act up in terms of the sorts of controls that you can put around it. There's two key components there. One is get it up to scratch and that comes with assessments of the of the current configurations and how, how things have been rolled out and that's great. But the second is you then have to watch it. And there's a couple of ways to do that. So we have a, a, a suite of tools we, we roll out to organisations that gives them visibility. It's breach monitoring. It's proactive breach monitoring. So that's what we do. And it allows you to have a dashboard and you see what's going on. And you, when, there's a da- when there's a breach or when there's, a, there's a, a, an attempted breach, you see it. Okay. Because it, as you rightly say, these criminals, it's a, that's their job. Their job is to attack. And... While we can get the configuration right, and that's great, Microsoft changed certain things, so you have to watch. You have to maintain visibility. And we either do that by giving the tools to the client or we'll monitor for them, one of the two. But but you have to watch. That's, that's yeah. the bottom line there. And so you keep that log running along with your eyes on glass on all your other logs, right? So it just becomes part of your daily SOC. Honestly, there's... there's 
millions of events sometimes in these organisations yep. and it's about understanding and correlating the data to say which of these events, million events to look at, well, it's these 10. And that's really a good little quick chat about how good SOC people really are because it seems to me that the ones that know that that little shiny bright star means something because they're really experienced in it, they're absolutely gold, these people, because, you know, you can't possibly, there's lots of correlation tools and aggregation tools, but, you know, missing missing something crucial is a big issue, right? So you guys have monitoring as well, do you? We, we do. So we, we monitor for lots of reasons. The overarching objective for us is an organisation will have a problem. It could be data leakage or it could be someone looking at their customer database um, and, and farming customer information. It could be, uh, you know, looking at undesirable activity or it could be looking at desirable activity. But in, in essence, our, what we do is uh, we have, you call us data agnostic. So data can come from anywhere, lots of it, um, correlate it, risk rate it, and then give it back to the client and say, okay, here's, here's what you should be concerned with you know, this week, these two things. You know, all the data prevention tools on the planet, DLP tools, my experience is they're massive, big programs of work to get right. And it has to start, often these things have to start at a C level in the organisation about what the organisation's values are and what their culture is all about. And if, they're, if they've got a good articulated strategy around our core values are, um, you know, you can really tap into that very easily to start a program that says confidentiality, it's our business to manage and get getting people to start understanding what's valuable to the organisation in terms of assets. And this plays a really important part of that because you're seeing things on the network that aren't part of their core values, then you can go and very easily address those things. But anybody that's got shareholders, compliance, legislation, really have to do something about these data types, don't they? Yeah, they really do. Um, it's For us, fundamentally, it comes down to um, prevention rather than detection. So as we know, if, if we're in a detection mode, um, and we find something that's great, but it's much more expensive than simply preventing. So our everything we do is underpinned by you would call culture change. So, so for example, I'll give you an example of that. So, um, where we go in and we look for, um, so let's say data leakage, because it's, it's an easy example. Um, I'll give you a real example of that. So, we're working in a, a large, let's just call it a, a, a financial, um, a few months ago. And they asked us to come in because they thought there was some fraud and they thought there was some data, custom data being stolen. And when we looked at their logs and we looked at their customer database log and we looked at their um, we looked at their data leakage application, immediately, yeah, there was there was things there were things going on, but there were so many events they couldn't possibly consume it internally. So we took that data, we correlated it, and what we found is that there was actually a small enterprise being run. By a couple of people within the organisation, and that was it. It was actually the fine operators. 
their lowest paid employees actually had access to their highest value information, their customer data, which is not unusual, right? And what they were, what they were doing was they were farming customer information and they were then using internal processes to take over their accounts. They then owned the assets of these customers. Um, and in some cases, several hundred thousand dollars worth of assets. So from a culture perspective, there was a real poor uh, security culture. So we put some processes in place where we then monitored. David Graham, one of my business partners, likes to use the expression um, walking the fence. And when we looked at their data leakage application, what we saw is that they locked down everything. They'd locked down various things throughout the organisation that you couldn't do. But users being smart, Users, (laughs) Users, <laughs> they're so clever. <laughs> they go around everything, walking the fence. I like it. And they and they would walk the fence. And so, for example, you couldn't you couldn't uh, add things to USB. You couldn't email things out. But they found ways around. So they found the gap in the fence. And once they found the gap in the fence, it was you know they were just hemorrhaging data. But because we, we were then monitoring these key systems, what happened is the culture change started. So employees, and we talked about 99% of employees being, uh, you know, acting in good faith, when they knew that, that, you know, Bob from accounting, for example, would do something, do the wrong thing, and we would tap him on the shoulder and we would say, hey, Bob, did you know that you can do your job a better way? There's another way to do this. And he would say, wow, thanks. And that word spread very quickly within a few months the whole culture of the organisation had changed dramatically, which was we, you know, great yeah. success for us. And, you know, that's that's the big thing. You know, we've transformed all the tech in six short weeks. And, look, a lot of companies were already well on that journey, but it's people and process. And, you know, you and I know from <laughs> war wounds that, you know, we love people, but they'll find a way around it because they want to get on with their day job. And sometimes it's unintentional consequences that get things there. I often find that people see a flaw in a control and they don't, they didn't set out to intentionally exploit it, but they've realized, oh my God, what could I do with this? And, you know, if they're financially stressed or there's, you know, some personal issues, they're going to say, well, you know, what's in it for me? And one of the big things that I find is I always ask, you know, executives, you've got to make it what's in it for me when you talk to them about security. Why should I do this? Why should I use this new control? And why can't I use USBs? And when you explain to them what the real, the significant issues are and that we'll try and find ways around it, like give you an exception or an exemption because you need to be able to do that for your job, but it's not a one-size-fits-all, is it? You know, if you looked at a kind of little roadmap and said, what are some things that we need to do over and above that, are there some things that you could sort of describe for us that we could start doing now? So the first thing is in relation to Office 365, it's to, uh, this is for your IT department, your sizes, I guess, they need to understand the configuration. So they need to understand, they need to ensure that they've configured 365 correctly because um, we, we, there's always gaps, uh, always is. 
So typically, we, we would generally do an assessment of 365, get the infrastructure up and running, and then roll out some tools to provide visibility. And visibility is key, um, uh, ongoing visibility, whether it's a tool we roll out or whether we're monitoring, whatever it might be. Um, if you're not watching, you're not seeing, obviously, and breaches can be going on, um, you know, uh, just, just in the background. Um, you, you touched on a point just a second ago. So, so that's key with 365 is, is get it right and then watch it. Um, you, you touched on something uh, before too about um, employees and working from home and, their, and the way they're feeling at the moment. And, and this is a key problem um, because what we, um, what we see when we're monitoring, we use a whole lot of demographic information, a whole lot of risk information that we, we tie back into our monitoring. And one of the um, fundamental things with that is that when employees feel like their world has become a little bit unstable and their employment is a bit unstable, they very quickly start to look at mm, how do I protect myself? And that often that often comes mm. down to I'll start to hoard data. I'll, I'll keep I'll keep those documents and those proformers and that database and so forth. I'll take that and I'll put it on my laptop. Nothing to see there from a from a um, an obvious uh, problem. But when we look at it for, with our um, rules in our monitoring, it's a key problem. It's unintentional data harvesting and it's just this human behaviour thing of, God, I, I'll, I might need another job out of this. Mm. I've got to be sellable, you know, to the market. Other than my skills, what have I got that I could use? And it's just this unintentional thing that, as you described, we need to protect ourselves. It's really an unusual time. It is absolutely. It's you know when we look at uh, a couple of say key rules that we use is um, someone misses out on a promotion. Well, they they become a flight risk to um, leave the organisation, and we we would then enhance monitoring and those sorts of people. But this is wholesale instability now. We're seeing people don't know whether they'll have a job tomorrow, and so what we see is. A lot of these people are higher risk factors, and for us that means uh, that the sorts of activities they get involved in, such as taking data and sorting the laptop, it's a precursor to data leakage. So, and some of that might be really sensitive stuff, but it's something to be well aware of. Yeah. Look, they are just absolutely fantastic messages. Thank you. Um, and really good insights about, you know, here we've got another group of awesome Australian talent and we've really got to showcase what great skills Aussies have in cybersecurity and how they can help organisations be secure. A couple of personal questions, mm. if I may, and that is mm. what advice would you give to someone that's coming into the industry because we do need more talent in the industry when we come out of this? Yeah, Absolutely. I guess it's, I would say one key key part is actually listen to the client. I mean, I know that's, that should be obvious, right? But actually, myself and all, all the, the team, we spend a lot of time listening to people and um, and honestly not selling. I probably should do more selling, I guess, but you know, whatever, we'll get to that. But, <laughs> but You'll get there. We'll get there. But it's, it's about not, hey, I have product A, B, and C, you should buy one of them, no matter what your problems are. It's mm. about really truly understanding what the what the problems are and 
um, providing a solution that will stick, that that's actually works for the client. Um, and that's why we do, honestly, mm. monitoring. We do that because they've bought two or three tools. It's vomiting uh, events and data at them. They can't possibly consume it. And they don't get, and it becomes, as they say, it becomes shelfware. So, you know, simply buying a product is, is honestly almost never the solution, but it's about listening, understanding the problems, and finding solutions for them. Uh, and, and honestly, sometimes uh, we're, we're just releasing something um, uh, next week, which is a, a free data discovery tool. So, so what that is, is okay, have you even got a problem? You know, I'm working from home, I've got my laptop here. Do I actually have any sensitive data on it? I don't know. You know what? Roll this tool out. It's free. You'll have it. You'll get a snapshot in that. You'll be able to see. Now, there's no, there's no um, benefit to us in that, but it's, you know, it gets people thinking. Yeah. And look, that's a, almost a fantastic closing point, really, because I love it when people offer things. You know, I do this podcast for free, and that's mm. really about giving back to the industry. I think those of us... I, I haven't met many people in cybersecurity, and I think it's a very, very generous profession and a very collaborative profession where we all really want to solve problems. Mm, so I love the fact. So how do people find you and how do they get access to that little tool? I think would be fabulous. Um, well, look, they, they, one of two ways, they can ring me. Uh, or ring the office directly. We're, so we're on one three hundred four ten nine hundred. That's our that's our office number, and they'll get uh, one of the guys. And we spend a lot of time speaking to clients, just a bit, just just having interesting conversations. Or they can email. They can email uh, contact at secmon1.com. They can they can do either of those things, and they'll get us. And you guys are on LinkedIn. So you and David Graham. So that's Christopher McNaughton and David Graham. Mm. Um, on LinkedIn, you're on Twitter. We're on Twitter, yeah. Right. What's your Twitter handle? It's um, you've got me there. It's the company. It's the company handle. <laughs> <laughs> but, but oh, good. So it's Sigmon yeah. One. That's great. Look, I'm really delighted that you're just not that focused on social media. That you're more interested in problem solving. I think that's just absolutely fantastic. It was so good to have a chat with you, Chris. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. And stay well. safe. Thanks for listening to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter or all the W's, cybersecuritycafe.com.au.